the startup, grow up, and scale up journey. This is the Pain of Scale, the Notion Capital Podcast. I'm Paul Papadimitriou. This is the Notion Capital Podcast, our Pain of Scale Series 5, Episode 9. But before I let Stephen introduce the topic and the guest, I'm sure you all know that we are putting out one blog post for every episode we record on the day of the release. That's on notion.vc. Just head to resources, then podcast. The link is actually within every episode in the description from your app directly. Or you can simply also find it by following Notion Capital on LinkedIn where you can directly interact with us as you've done so far. And you can follow us on Spotify. You can subscribe on Google Podcasts or any other podcast app. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts where you could just give us uh, five stars or better even leave us a review. We really appreciate it. So back to today, episode nine, the crux of it all, the economic viability of a startup, the financial foundation that allows them to grow, extend their runways, but also with better capital efficiency, something also important in pandemic times to better predict their future growth, a topic that feels for CFOs, obviously, but I'd hasten to say for everyone involved, as if it's only the CFOs that care, then you're in trouble. <laughs> so Stephen, tell us more, and especially who do we have today to talk about this? We have today... Carrie Dolan, who's the CFO at TradeShift. And just to set the scene, just following on from Paul, look, SaaS businesses are ultimately recurring revenue streams. So, you know, any profit or contribution from a customer is typically generated in the second, third, fourth, fifth, subsequent years. But they're investing quite significant amounts up front to acquire those customers. So they really have to have an in-depth understanding of their business model and critically an understanding of the underlying economic viability and the financial foundations to allow them to stay on track, make good decisions, manage their costs, manage their cash, accurately predict growth, plan for future investments. And as venture-backed businesses in particular, ultimately, they have to unlock capital-efficient growth in order to achieve the goals that they've set for themselves and for their stakeholders. And so a pretty big topic, but uh, our guy <laughs> today is, as I said, Carrie, Carrie Dolan. Carrie is the CFO of TradeShift. It's a unicorn within the Notion portfolio. We led the Series A about eight or nine years ago. Carrie has got 20 plus years experience as a CFO, both in fast growth venture-backed technology companies, such as Metro Mile Lending Club, and prior to that with Charles Schwab. So Carrie, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. So Carrie, you know, start with a fairly big question, I suppose, but can you give us an insight into the challenge that a CFO faces at a fast growth complex global SaaS company such as TradeShift? Sure. The way that I'd start here is that when a company is small and relatively simple, it's easy to maintain goal alignment or objective alignment and as a CFO assess how things are working. Once the company actually starts to grow quickly though, we have to hire, we have to expand, and so it begins to get more and more challenging. And so what I think is pretty important is to early in kind of a life cycle is to start thinking about the processes that are in place to track investments and to see how things are performing. I think the job itself as a CFO constantly changes. So what I am worrying about today with the pace and the growth of the company, it will be different in six months and another change six months later. So I think that the challenge with fast growth, with fast pace is just to constantly be assessing and trying to keep up 
with what keeps the company interconnected, what keeps consistency across objectives, but then also across processes. So maybe we can take it back to that kind of early stage. And we talk with our portfolio companies about establishing the kind of financial foundations. And when they're at that super early stage, what are the basics as a, you know, maybe it's not a CFO, but maybe it's the finance director or the first finance person. What would you be looking for? Look, I'm sub 5 million in revenues. What does the starting point look like? In my experience, oftentimes with the smaller companies or early stage founders, I think that there can be a a view around finance or accounting as primarily the accounting. How do you make sure that someone is managing cash flows? But I actually think that early in the company's life cycle, if there's more DNA put into the company around thinking that the finance team itself, whether that's just a head of finance, that person actually can be really a strong strategic partner to the business. So there's someone that's not just doing budgets or creating kind of data dashboards, but that team is helping the business identify kind of critical drivers of growth and also even efficiency. So someone is not just looking at the numbers, but trying to identify the metrics or operating systems, operating metrics behind the financials and beginning to document through modeling, but also trying to capture and track that. I think in my experience, I often find that companies will say we're very data-driven, for example, but actually having data that's correlated to financial data and that actually provides insights, I think is harder to do. And you really need a financial partner that can kind of bridge between the business and the financial systems to align that. Just as an example, Metro Miles is an insurance company that does car insurance. And one key metric would be policies, for example. And so you would think, well, how many policies does the company have each month in tracking that? And what I found was that you go in and you talk to different teams and the definition of that policy varies. You can sell a policy that doesn't actually start for a month. So it doesn't go in force. Is that something you would count as a policy? And so First, getting really consistent definitions, and then second, to make sure that the infrastructure is tracked in a way where you actually can report on that specific definition or multiple definitions over time consistently. I think sometimes early in a company's life cycle, you're able to kind of do this on the fly. But once you start to grow over time, this is the infrastructure that really becomes critical to start monitoring and understanding the business performance and particularly then how it relates to the financials. You're talking about really kind of nailing down those kind of most important metrics, getting common agreement on what matters and then figuring out the systems and capabilities to manage that without putting too many words into your mouth. Um, (laughs) Do you see a kind of an evolution in terms of financial systems as well as from that kind of startup sub 5 million to kind of a grow up phase as we would call 5 to 25 and million and then 25 plus? How much do the financial systems systems need to change over that time? I think this is one of the most interesting and challenging things. This is systems and processes and even people. So I often talk about the concept of building a plane while flying. And I think this is really an important concept because it talks about the fact that there are daily things that you need to be doing as well as building for the future. 
And when you're in a fast growing startup, lots of fires daily, it's very easy to get consumed with trying to solve the problems for today and having no capacity to think about the future. And all of a sudden you wake up six months later and you're in a pretty deep hole. And so I think that a CFO in particular needs to be constantly evolving processes and evaluating teams and people, and not just in the finance team, but across the organization. Because for example, in trade shift, we need to understand how efficient our marketing dollars are that are ultimately producing sales, SaaS sales, and that predictability and the systems that then share, okay, here's how much we think we're going to do each quarter or each month and what we need to spend. That infrastructure, when you're little versus at these different stages that you're talking about, need different levels of control, discipline, process. So it gets back to the CFO. And trying to understand at what point you should evolve a process. I could come in today to trade shift and put in processes that maybe I worked on when I was at Chevron or Schwab. They're going to be way, way too heavy. And so knowing how to kind of anticipate another analogy is, you know, you skate where the puck's going. You kind of constantly have to be doing that. And I think that's one of the most interesting and challenging things of the role that makes it fun, frankly. Yeah, and it's interesting. In the last couple of series, we've talked to two other CFOs, Pavla Munzarova from Muse and Catherine Burkett from Go Cardless. And both of them have talked about this, looking ahead and planning the systems and the capabilities for the next phase. Because I mean, which can be very challenging when you're growing fast. And Pavla in particular talked about the importance for her of, of automation within that. Is that an important aspect of that increased capability and process improvement to you? Yeah, for sure. Again, when you're relatively small, when you're starting a company or early stages, the investment needs to go into the product and it needs to go into sales and top line growth. And in many respects, the infrastructure, the financial infrastructure, the the accounting infrastructure, that could be handled manually. But when beginning to think about, well, what if we are 10 times our size or 100 times our size, you can't continue to just put people in it. You know, not only is that costly, but also it creates issues with controls. The more that you automate, the more frameworks you can put around. So you're you're just looking for exceptions and you are able to then get better data, quicker data, quicker close. And even if you're you know on a path, for example, to wanting to be public at some point, the automations and systems really help both for efficiency and cost, but also for controls. And so back to the analogy of building the plane while flying, how do you get the washout every day in a financial team, for example, and try to automate, make sure that your billing is fully automated or payables, or if you have treasury cash management, or even automation from kind of order to cash in the SaaS company? How do you make sure that all the handoffs between systems are right The other aspect of this that's pretty important is we were talking a little bit about metrics and data. If you want to be able to report on information consistently, and some of this information you may be sharing with investors or outside interests, you need to make sure that how that data is pulled across the organization is consistent, which also means more and more automation throughout. So it's pretty important. And I think that there's actually many more tools today that are in place for reasonable costs for CFOs to be able to put in a SaaS offering. 
many more than I think, you know, when I was earlier in my career that would be more hosted and a year's implementation where now I think there's a lot more flexibility to be able to actually automate sooner. I'd say it's got to be one of the most fascinating and exciting jobs in SaaS when a company gets to a certain degree of scale. You're a critical part of the business. For sure. I think that the role of a CFO has continued to evolve. There was a time, I think, where CFOs were more accounting-based. That was the experience. I think that has definitely shifted more towards kind of an operating almost an analytical COO kind of business partner. And I think in my job, I have to really understand the business. I find that what's really important to be successful is gaining an intuition across all aspects of the business. So I need to understand not only the product and the offering and the go-to-market, but each team and what they're doing and their plans for how they grow and scale as well. Because I see the role as I'm helping make sure that across the organization, we're allocating resources in the most efficient way that we can. We have a hundred investments, but we can't invest in all of them. So how do we actually make sure that the dollars that we are putting to work and where we are spending, we are, are doing it in a way that is kind of optimal And sometimes you don't know that initially. So I think on the flip side here, making sure that there's a way to quickly assess and find the signals that say, maybe this isn't the best thing. You know, let's quickly test and learn and then move on if we don't actually see it. So I love the role. I think it's a great place to be kind of in terms of having an understanding across the organization, but also having really a significant impact on how a company might grow. Yeah. You know, every time I talk to one of the CFOs in our portfolio, I always come away with that kind of feeling. So you touched on the point of cash and, you know, obviously SaaS companies have significant upfront cash flow needs due to the upfront product build costs and the customer acquisition costs. So how do you recommend financial leaders kind of manage that or manage cash most effectively? I think I would start a little bit with what I was just talking about, which is the investments that have to be made into a company. We we have to take risks. That is just inherent in a startup. So we have to spend in ways or in places where we're less sure about the outcome. Certainly in SaaS, trying to hire a sales team and drive a go-to-market strategy that may actually take months and months to kind of really get going. The challenge is to work to try to pull out signals and look for insights. It's also important not to just go all in, meaning that are there ways to test an area or test an approach or test a marketing idea without necessarily investing in a place where it's hard to undo. Ultimately, kind of driving then how the business grows over time starts to evolve. And, you know, cash flow is really important. I think that right now, generally, the way that I view the environment with COVID and the continued uncertainty, I think that many companies face, not only like, for instance, with trade shift, but also who are selling to, there's uncertainty in a sales cycle. Someone might actually decide that they have to stop or be more conservative and you have a lot of uncertainty. And so at this point, we have to be more defensive where maybe in the past we would spend a little more aggressively ahead of growth, 
This is an environment where I believe you step back a little bit and a little bit more conservative how you spend because there's just a whole lot more kind of external uncertainty that creates risk for the business. So CFOs are risk managers. You know, I feel like my job is to kind of see the risks in the room and constantly be thinking about how do we mitigate that and make sure that nothing comes that we can't weather through and we've got to be resilient. So in a place where even if a company is very flush with cash, for example, that still doesn't mean that that should be spent. I think environmentally and the risks of the company and the risks of the market all have to be taken into account and you lean in or lean out depending on what you see. I wonder, Carrie, if we can get into a little bit of detail about the metrics you obsess about. Well, it depends. <laughs> I say it depends because it's somewhat of the stage of the business. For example, you know, I'm, I'm relatively new to trade shift. And so coming into the company, one of the first things that I did was just talk to investors and the board and folks about what do they want to understand and know about the company, what's important to them. And then internally, try to understand what are we paying attention to and what are we watching? And so I think each company, you can broadly say growth, top line growth, bottom line efficiency and cash flow. And those are kind of like core lifelines, I think, for any company at any stage, but they will vary based on where you are in the cycle. You know, today I'm certainly looking at all three. And as I mentioned before, also watching just to, to make sure that I continue to assess and understand what impacts the, the environment may have on us and making sure that we are planning in a way for being able to take advantage of turns in the market or being ready to accelerate or decelerate. I think that where I am right now, too, is just making sure across the company that my team and myself both have a really good understanding of the operational drivers within the company, as I mentioned earlier. So a little early for me to kind of go deeper than that relative to trade shift. But I think that relative to my past experiences, it's really situational with the company and what we want to drive. For example, in Lending Club, we had a you know, core business that we were growing and driving, had lots of top line growth. And, you know, so then as that's working really well, how do we make sure that we continue to focus on a margin, for example? And so that might have been at a time where we were really driving to break even. I think these are the kinds of things of where the stage is really kind of drive what I worry about or what a CFO would worry about relative to the business health and the metrics. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, focusing on cash, focusing on growth, focusing on the revenue efficiency, but CAC payback. This is something a lot of SaaS companies are obsessed about. I just wonder how do you how do you think about it? How do you measure it? And how critical is it for your or any kind of go-to-market strategy to get this right? Yeah, this one I would say is hard for me to give you specifics relative to trade shift at this stage, probably a little early, but certainly in both in Lending Club and in Metro Mile, we worried about this measure because finding and acquiring customers certainly has an upfront cost. So in Metro Mile's case, we needed to go acquire a customer and compete to get that customer and then look at over time how long that policy would stay in place. Did it churn? What's the lifetime value of it and how quickly we can cover that. 
And so what we did was we would look at the product profitability over time. And we knew that once we got to a certain scale with a certain number of policies and also in an efficiency that we could drive down that acquisition costs and continue to expand that lifetime value. So this is an important concept. I often talk about, you know, people will look at the horizontal or vertical financials, meaning, you know, I'm doing monthly planning or annual planning, which is essentially the, you know, the vertical financials, but you really need to understand why, while I may look like I'm at a loss and spending a lot of money today, I want to look out over time to see I am actually building an asset that has a return and we need to make sure that that continues to grow and kind of constantly trading off today for that future is really what's critical around this concept of looking at lifetime value CAC relative to kind of current resources. It's another interesting part of the role that constantly evolves as the company is growing and maturing. Can you give us an insight into the concept of capital efficiency? I'm achieving a certain amount of growth. I'm maximizing my valuation. How do you think about bringing all those things together to really help an organization understand how to optimize growth and capital efficiency? I would say a little bit of my experience, at least in the last two startups, was I was in a financial services kind of construct, both in London Club and Metro Mile. And I think that oftentimes a startup will focus really just on top line growth and worry about kind of bottom line efficiency over time. In both those prior startups, I couldn't do that because the losses that you would get from, let's say, your policies, if you're not underwriting well in insurance, you're going to have essentially claims and losses that you'll be upside down with. Same in lending. You need to actually make sure that you don't have losses on lending. So in both cases, we really worked very hard to balance both top line growth and bottom line efficiency. Again, leaning back and forth at different times. Coming into trade shift today, and certainly with you know some of the issues that we've seen in the market, even over the last year with WeWork and others, I think that if a company's DNA is built just focusing on top line growth, then one day when you wake up and say, okay, let's worry about profitability, it's really hard to turn that ship. And so it's really important to create that sort of mindset and discipline early on. You can't be completely efficient when you are starting something because you don't exactly know how it works. You've got to actually evolve that over time. I think it creates stronger value over time. You know, investors do expect a return and they want to see a high level of growth. And so my approach continues to be to make sure that as we are working to accelerate growth, that we're doing that with the framework around that growth that allows us to be efficient, or if we want to be slightly inefficient, that we know that that's the case, meaning that there is an affirmative decision around that as opposed to let's just you know grow at any cost. That's how I kind of think about it and certainly have brought that sort of mindset into tradeship. I'm guessing over time, as a startup are growing and going through these different phases, you need to bring in different type of people, different type of leadership. Yeah, that's another interesting aspect of how a startup evolves over time. I joined Lending Club when we were roughly about 40 people, so relatively small at that point in time. And over my six years there, we grew to about 1,500. And I think that one of the interesting things about that scaling was how we had to evolve the organization and evolve people. 
you know, early, you often have those folks who are execution focused, jack of all trades that just get stuff done. When the company becomes bigger and more complex, then what happens is that you often start to need to bring in more specialized experience or help for, for taking over. And you also, when the company becomes a bit more complex and you need to keep the alignment across the company, you also need management and kind of leadership that knows how to kind of keep teams together, set objectives, and also set clear accountability. So I think that's another challenge for companies that, you know, we often see we outgrow people or the company evolves faster than, than folks and knowing when it's time to bring in the next level, if you will, of leadership experience, that sort of thing is, is a challenge, but it's pretty critical because I think that it is one of those emotional challenges where you have someone who has done really great work for the company but has gotten to the stage where perhaps that person needs to be layered or that role needs to be adjusted a bit. But it's pretty critical because I think that at different levels and different maturity, you absolutely need different experience. I love the fact that you use the term emotional because you go both ways, as you kind of hint at, as in it's also the person themselves that sometimes need to let go because they were great at one stage of a, of a company. And then, like you said, there's a need to create depth into the management. Yeah, it's it's a complex path that we see a lot happening in startups. For sure. Yeah, we do. We see that happening across the portfolio. And one of the biggest challenges, you know, that evolving your, your team. And yeah, because as you pointed out, the company often grows faster than the people. Carrie, it's been a wonderful conversation and discussion. Any last thoughts for any CFOs out there who maybe people want to connect with you or they're interested in learning more? Yeah, I think we touched on it earlier. I think that the role is is super fun. I mean, I think that being involved in the business and, and also approaching it as a, a business partner, unfortunately, sometimes CFOs can be viewed as the, you know, only worry about expenses or the cop or the police. I just think that is a missed opportunity. I really think that the role is a business role. It's a partnership and can drive significant value and encourage both CFOs to push themselves to get to that partnership place. And also, you know, encouraging CEOs and other executives to really find and seek out the finance partners that truly are a partner for the business. Carrie, thank you ever so much. Thank that you. Really, really lovely speaking to you. And thank nice you for your to time. speak to you guys. Thank you. 